that song that we sang and the truth there. Um, Father, that's, that's our only hope this morning, God, is that you, who you are, Jesus, is enough for everything. You don't just uh, make promises, but you are the promise maker and you're the promise keeper. And you've never failed. So, Father, I, I just pray that today, uh, in the time that we have together in this space, that you would fill us with your spirit. And pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our hearts. Pray that you would give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you. Pray that the eyes of our heart would be opened in order that we might know the hope to which you have called us and all the riches that you have for your people. Uh, we love you so much, Lord. We love you so much. And we're just thankful this morning for you, for who you are. Thanks for being good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Welcome over to the Encore. Where are my balcony people at? Where are my people that usually sit in the balcony? Raise your hand. Hey, listen, we'll get through this. We'll get through this together. I know you don't have the balcony, but uh, uh, I will, I'll try to survive having these windows out here. I'm telling you, I literally pray about this when I know this week is coming because I just want to drift and look at whatever's happening out there. But we'll make it. Genesis chapter 16, please. Genesis chapter 16. I usually read it and then, you know, kind of outline it, study it all week to try to make it. I just want to present the truth as, as clearly as I can. It's what I pray for every week is that I just make it clear. Um, this, this passage, though, it, you know, there's a lot of narrative in the Bible, and this is a narrative, it's a story. Um, so we're studying Abram's life, but I, this passage, passage is just so beautiful. Um, it's kind of like a fresh snow uh, on kind of a country landscape that looks really nice, and I just don't want to trample all over it this morning and ruin it with a footprint, my footprints of an outline. And so I just want to um, jump in and just begin to read and kind of let the story unfold and, uh, and make some points along the way. Dave, am I ringing? Because I hear a ringing up here. I'm sorry, I can't go on when I hear. Are we good? Okay. Genesis uh, chapter 16, starting verse 1, says, Now Sarai and Abram's, Abram's wife had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and he gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. So up until this point in the story, if you remember, starting back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, God had called Abram out of the land that he knew, away from the people that he knew, from all that was familiar, and he just said, get up and go to the land that I will show you. And Abram 
exercised great faith and he got up and he was obedient and he went and then as he went, not really knowing where he was going, God met him and he said, you're here, you're in the land, I've guided you to the place that will be yours and belong to you and your descendants someday and it's, it was a good thing and Abram builds an altar and he worships and you know, then they have a little faux pas when the famine hits and they go down to Egypt and not so great faith but more driven by fear, and he lies and says that his wife is his sister. But again, God provides, God is faithful, delivers him from that situation. Um, chapter 13 and 14 face some battles. Uh, his, his nephew gets taken captive by some enemy armies. He gets up, uh, doesn't operate out of fear, but he rises to the occasion, trusts the Lord, and he goes and he fights the battle, and he rescues his nephew, and and brings him back, and then, you know, last week in chapter 15, it's several years in, and, and uh, he's struggling with unbelief, and he's crying out to the Lord, and God gives him a promise, and he says, I'll, I'll be your shield, I'll be your great reward, come out, look at the stars. If you can count them, then you'll be able to count your descendants, and God makes a covenant with him, and Abram believes God, and God counts it to him as righteousness, and it's another high point in kind of the, the journey of Abram's walk of faith. But the verse that just kept popping off the page to me all week as I read this was the very beginning of verse 3. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land. So it's been 10 years. 10 years since he left, and there's been some low points, but there's also been some high points, and Abram's been obedient. But the question is, what do you do in year 10? What do you do in year 10? 10 years of following Jesus. 10 years since you've made a change, maybe left some things that were familiar, um, left what you knew, maybe left some relationships. And it's been going good, God's been faithful. But it's year 10, and you're still barren. You still feel barren. Um, all of us hit a year 10, and it might not be year 10. It might be year 9, it might be year 11, it might be year 5, it might be year 15, it might be year 25, it might be year 50. But we hit that year 10 when we've tried to obey God, we're following him as best we can, but doubt, fear, worry, Anxiety, it's just there, and we still feel barren. We still feel unfruitful. We go through this as individuals. Um, I also think churches go through this. There's an incredible amount of pressure at times on not just church leaders, not just pastors, but on churches, the people in general, to about year 10, to, to, be, to be fruitful, to make sure that, that something's happening you know, to try to make it happen in the power of our own efforts, which is what Abram and Sarai do here. And it's amazing how easy it is at times to take culturally acceptable methods that God doesn't command, but that we just kind of adopt and because it's culturally acceptable, we think that it's biblically permissible. We think that it's just okay to do things according to the way of the world. Again, I know this is weird for us 
that it's actually Sarai, Abram's wife, it's actually her idea. Hey, take Hagar. You have to understand, this was a culturally accepted method back in the day. Not okay, but in that place, in that place in time in history, in that context, it was culturally acceptable to do this. And man, it is incredible um, how really, really bad ideas can seem like really, really okay ideas. Really, really good ideas at times. And guys, it's, it's so important that we understand that in our walk of following Jesus, no matter what year we're in, there's going to come a year 10 when either personally or corporately together, maybe whatever your community of people looks like in your life or for us as a church, that we'll be tempted to take culturally acceptable methods and think that they're biblically permissible and that God's okay with it. But here's what God wants. And it's always the same, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, it's the Christian life following him, it is absolutely hard. It's hard, but it's not complicated. I've said that so many times to you over the years. It's hard. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. It's hard, but it's not complicated. We have to keep trusting. We have to keep clinging to his promises. And especially, especially when we look at our lives and we still feel like we're barren, like we're not bearing any fruit, that there's no change, that the promises of God haven't really come about in the way that we thought that they should or we thought that it was going to happen. Especially when we're barren, especially when things are difficult, it's really, really easy to adopt some bad ideas and to believe some weird things. There's a, there's a story in John chapter 5 where Jesus goes up to this place called the Pool of Bethesda and it was, again, kind of a cultural um, folklore or belief that if you laid by this water, that every now and then an angel would come down and stir the waters and then if you could be the first one in after the, the waters would seem to be stirred that you would get healed. And there was a guy who was lame who'd been laying there for 38 years 38 years he'd, he'd just he'd be there by this and, and Jesus finds him in John chapter five, 5 Jesus finds this man and, and he says hey do you want me to heal do you want to be healed do you want to be healed and the guy doesn't even answer the question the first thing he does is he just he kind of exposes this weird belief system that he'd adopted After years of being in pain, Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I I have no one to get me down into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, another steps in before me. Again, when you're in pain and when you're in pain for a long time, when you're barren for a long time, when things are difficult for a long time, it becomes really easy to believe some weird stuff. Amen? And I know that even here this morning, like, guys, every single one of us, we have pain in our life. We live in this world. It's broken because of sin, our own sin, the sin of others. We hurt others. Others have hurt us. We've hurt ourselves with our own sin. And there's pain. And it's important along the way that when we hit those seasons, those year tens, that we just stay the course and keep trusting God to fulfill his promises and to do what only what only he can do. Um, If I can say this too, again, there's so much just practical stuff and beauty in this passage. Um, 
and we can't hit all of it, but, but I think it's worth mentioning here again, if you just kind of zoom in and look at the nuggets of how this happened, like, how, how did they do, like, this was a bad idea. What happened? But the doubt began in Sarai's heart, and she comes up with this idea, and, you know, Abram, he's, chapter 15's over now, so now he's like, well, you know, maybe he can. I just want to say this, don't, guys, it's so important that those within our closest community in our life, whoever that is, might be husband, might be wife, might be family, might be friends, our church, small churches, whatever it might be. It is so important that our closest community values vibrant, active, living faith. So important. We're going to be preaching through First and Second Thessalonians later on this year, but in First Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul had been in Thessalonica for just a few weeks, three weeks, he plants a church, a few people get saved, and then he gets run out of town. And he gets run out of town, his people from another ha- town had come and chased him off, and he, right after he'd been there for three weeks, he very quickly writes this letter back to the Thessalonians. And in chapter three, I think it's like five or six times, and we don't need to turn there this morning, but it says that he sent Timothy to them, and the thing that Paul is inspecting, the thing that he's looking for is, are you still believing? How's your faith? It says, when I could stand it no longer, I, I sent Timothy to give a report of your faith. I was afraid that the, the tempter, that the enemy had come and that he had somehow tried to ruin your faith. These are the types of things that we need to be uh, inspecting, not in our own lives, in our own hearts, but amongst those that we love, but also those that love us. We need to ask them to be inspecting our faith. Many times we value other things more than we value an active, vibrant, living faith. But it's because that Abram and Sarai, even in the midst of their marriage, all the promises that God um, had given them and all the, all the different ways that he had come through. Again, it's, it's year 10 now. Think about your life 10 years ago. Think about where you were. Blows my mind. Ephraim was six, Rowan was four. Finn was one. We didn't have little Jordy. He wasn't born. A lot has happened in 10 years, and now it's been 10 years. And still, and still nothing. But what they try to do is they, they try to make fruitfulness happen in their own efforts, in their own power. And it goes on, verse 4, And he, Abram, went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So look, obviously, this even though this was culturally acceptable, it's still really jacked up. (laughs) And it didn't work then, (laughs) all right? Just like it wouldn't wouldn't work now. So Abram's now got kind of like these these two wives, and it's weird, and, you know, it's a mess. And so there begins to be, be this tension now between... Hagar, the Egyptian servant who is pregnant, and Sarah, who desperately wanted to be pregnant. And just don't miss this, though, that this, this is driving Sarah nuts now, okay? And so verse 5, it says, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave, you my, servant, I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So Sarah's now blaming Abram, even though it was Sarai's idea, but Abram's was definitely at fault. He shouldn't, have, he shouldn't have went along with this. He should have stood firm. 
held on to the promises of God. Verse 6, but Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. But, but don't miss this here. Is that, guys, their, their plan, Abram and Sarah's plan for how they were going to produce fruitfulness in their life and kind of in their own strength, in their own power, bring about the results that they felt God had promised them, their plan worked. Their, their plan actually worked. Like it, it produced what they intended it to produce, but it made them miserable. It didn't bring them joy. And again, this is so true in our lives is that sometimes we, we accept these culturally acceptable um, practices, but that they're not biblically permissible. We, we take really bad ideas and we kind of, because of lack of faith, even in just in our own hearts or in the lives of our community, we, we kind of can talk ourselves into really bad ideas. And then the sad part is sometimes they actually work. They actually work. If I can just for a second, and again, hear me, I'm not, my concern is for us um, here at Mercy Hill and the mission that God has given us, and he's called us to preach the gospel and to make disciples just like he has every, every church. Um, but you know, it's like, I, it's crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy. The things that the church in the West, primarily in America, the practices at times that we've accepted because they're like, they're culturally okay, and so we think it'll work, and it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. I mean, just a quick YouTube search, and I, you know, I don't know, bring this up, don't, don't do this, not now, don't do it later either, it's really not worth it, but just a quick YouTube search of like, weird stuff churches do. I... I me and the interns were watching a video this past week. Like, there were people dressed as dinosaurs walking out on stage. We watched a video of a guy coming in on a zip line from the balcony. Although that one might be cool. I don't know. I'm just, no, I'm just kidding. As he's talking about the rapture. It's just bizarre. And hear me, I'm not saying this like, oh my goodness, oh, we, we, we could never fall into that. No, we could. Maybe not those specific things. But if we don't value vibrant faith and clinging to the promises of God in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own marriages, in our own families, in, in the midst of our own uh, community, in the midst of our own church, we can find ourselves doing some really weird stuff. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like I said, that sometimes the plan actually works. It's not like there's five people in these churches. There's 5,000 people in these churches. And hear me, I'm not against big churches. There are really, really good, healthy, big churches, and there are really, really unhealthy, bad, heretical big churches. And there are really, really good, healthy, smaller-sized churches, and there are really, really unhealthy, unbiblical, heretical, smaller churches. The church size is irrelevant. The truth that we proclaim and the mission that we're on, and if we're on the mission that God has given us, is what's relevant and what we need to be about. But the point is, sometimes our plan works and sometimes God will allow us to get what we can produce in our own power to show us the futility of our own efforts. Let me say that again. Sometimes God will allow us to get what we can produce in our own power to show us the futility of our own efforts. I was listening to a podcast a while back of, of a guy that used to be in a super attractional 
um, put on a show type of type of church, and how God really did a work in his heart, and um, and he really reformed that church and brought it back to the biblical standards that the Bible holds out. And he had this one little line that he said, um, and they because. He said, I guarantee, he said, I guarantee, he said, because I've been there. He said, guys that are using just culturally acceptable methods just to draw a crowd. He said, it might seem like they're okay with it, but he said, I promise you, in their moments of just silence when they're just by themselves, deep inside, they wonder if all this is really real. They wonder if God is the one doing this or if they're the one doing it. He said, because I used to be that guy. And again, but maybe it's not related to church. Maybe maybe you've tried to scheme, manipulate relationships, grab for position of power, places where you can be in control. Guys, the heart, the human heart is a dark, dark thing. The Bible tells us that. Jeremiah 17, the heart is desperately wicked above all else. Who can understand it? That's the Bible's testimony about us. And even still as believers, even though we've been given new hearts, even though Christ lives in us, there are remnants of sin, unbelief, impure motives that exist in us that we need to own and we need to constantly be asking Jesus to put those things under his feet and to rule and reign over it lest we we fall into this. And so their plan works, and they're kind of tasting the nastiness of what their own scheming and unbelief has produced. Um, And it causes pain in their own life, but it doesn't just cause pain in Abram and Sarai's life, but obviously it causes pain in the lives of others, namely here in the story, Hagar. And so Hagar gets up because Sarah begins to deal harshly with her and, and this is, it's a strong word when it says that she dealt harshly with him. It's the same word that is going to be used later on in the book of Exodus to speak of how the Egyptians treated the Israelites. This is God's people. Abram and Sarai. Acting very sinfully. Um, might come back to this a little later on, but if I can just shoot straight with you for a second. Uh, Church folks can sometimes be some of the nastiest people you've ever seen. It's true. Sometimes there ain't no pain like church pain. It's true. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not just saying I'll just get over it. You know, it's, it's no big deal. It's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty big deal. In fact, I'm sure if we go around here, a lot of us could tell stories about bad experiences that we've had in church. Because God's people at times can do some pretty wicked stuff. It's not okay. There's no need to give an excuse for it. It's like anything else. We just need to own it and run back to the cross again and again and again. We never have any other place to go. And so Hagar here um, is is in the midst of a mess. It's a real, it's a real, real mess. Uh, and our only hope 
when things are a mess is that God does what he does here, that he steps into the mess, that he just steps into the situation. Whatever mess you're in this morning because of sin, whether someone else's or yours or a combination of the two, which is probably what it is, no matter what mess you're in, here is your only hope. It's your only hope. You ready? I'm going to tell you. You want to know what your only hope is? No? I'm going to tell you your only hope. Your only hope is that God, in his sovereign grace, steps into that mess and does something. Because here's the thing, left to yourself, whatever the mess is, it's just like a toddler making a mess and then thinking, I know what I'll do. I'll clean this up. It only makes the mess worse. They spill paint on the floor. (gasps) Better not let mom and dad see. Let me go get something and really scrub it into the carpet so it'll never come out. It's what happens when we try to clean up our own sin. Your only hope is that God, in his free sovereign grace, would step in and will clean it up. And that's what he does here. Hagar is on the run, and God meets her. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her. God found her. The angel of the Lord. And again, in, in the Old Testament, this is what you call a theophany. It's, it's a physical manifestation of the Lord himself somehow. Um, there's in different places in the Bible, in, in the Old Testament primarily, it'll speak of an angel of the Lord. When it's an angel of the Lord, uh, it's just, it's an angel, like Gabriel or Michael or something like that. But when it's the angel of the Lord, it's, it's usually a theophany. This is, this is God somehow come down to the flesh. God meets her. God, the Lord, the Lord found her. The Lord found her. The Lord stepped into, stepped into the mess in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur, which is on the way to Egypt. Hagar was fleeing back to Egypt. And again, this is really, I won't spend a lot of time on this, but again, this passage is just so bursting with beautiful imagery. It's amazing. Verse 8, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And whenever God asks you a question, it's not because he needs an answer, but he's trying to reveal something in our own heart by the answer that we are to give to it. And she says, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. Do you know what the name Hagar means? Her name, Hagar, means flight. Flight. And what does she say? I am fleeing. She's fleeing. She's acting in accordance with with her name. She's fleeing back to Egypt. Again, we don't have a lot of backstory on Hagar. We know that Abraham and Sarah were in in Egypt for a while um, during the famine. We don't know if they got her there. We don't know if she had fled away from another master and then they found her. We just don't know. We just don't know. But she's fleeing in verse 9. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Now, there's a lot going on here. Let me just say, though, because I think it works, is worth, definitely worth mentioning, and there's a lot of people that try to twist this text. Verse 9, when the angel of the Lord, when God tells her to return to her mistress and, and to submit to her, this is not in any way some sort of a blanket prescription for subjecting yourself to ongoing abuse. Okay? That's not what this is at all. But um, God is meeting her in the midst of her fleeing. Okay? And acting in accordance with her name. And he is meeting her. And he's going to, as we've seen him do with Abram and Sarah, he's going to give her a command. And he's going to give her 
a promise. But again, don't, don't, miss, don't miss the picture of what's happening here. Hagar is on the run from the people of God because of the people of God. See that? She is on the run from the people of God because of the people of God. And like I said a little bit ago, uh, there's no reason to try to deny it. Church at times can be a hurtful place. Christians can do hurtful things. And I want to be careful here. I don't want to draw parallels that are not, that are not here. Again, Hagar is, uh, is an Egyptian slave girl that has been severely mistreated by um, Abram and Sarai, and she's pregnant, and she's on the run. Uh, but again, the image being that she's on the run from the people of God because of the people of God. I'm sure that there might be some Hagars here this morning. You've had some bad church experiences. You've been on the run from the people of God because of the people of God. Bunch of hypocrites. I ain't never going back. Don't be like them. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And here's, if that's you this morning, if that's you in this season this morning, I would say to you the same thing that God is going to say to Hagar here. He says, I hear you, and I see you. I hear you, and I see you. She's on the run from the people of God because of the people of God. He meets her in her fleeing. He says, return, submit to her. Verse 10, and the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. The name Ishmael means God hears. God hears. God hears. He goes on and he begins to describe him and it's kind of an interesting description. Verse 12, and he shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand shall be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. And we find little glimpses of Ishmael and the, the tribe that will become the Ishmaelites later on in the scriptures and they're constantly at war. There's constant, there's constant conflict. But then verse 13, so she, Hagar, called the name of the Lord who spoke to her there. You are a God of seeing. And there's a bunch of different names for God in the Bible, okay? His personal name is Yahweh, okay? It's usually in the, our English translations, it's all capitals, L-O-R-D. Um, but many times, just kind of the general name that's used for God is Elohim, okay? And so this name here is El Roy, and it takes the first part, the prefix of the name Elohim, and then God Roy, you are the God who sees. She says, you are the God who sees, but then get this, the end of verse 13, this is really important. She calls him a God of seeing, so he's a God that hears, name him Ishmael. 
but he's also the God who sees. Then end of verse 13, for she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. And here's what Hagar is amazed by. Okay, if I had to sum that up, again, there's kind of a lot of wordplay going on here. She's amazed that he sees her, but she's also amazed that she has been allowed to see the one who sees her. Now here's the thing, and we know this is true as we you know, look at the whole testimony of Scripture, is that this is just, I, I just find this so true to life, is that we know that God hears us, right? We know that, we know that, but we don't always live like that. We know that God sees us. We know that he sees everything, he's God, right? But we don't always live like God sees us. But there are times and there are seasons in our life where God meets us in a special way and he lets us see that he sees us and that he knows. And many times it's in the midst of pain. It's nothing we can manufacture. It's nothing that we can necessarily bring about. But like I think what Paul said in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, he said, we were so hopeless that we despaired even of life. The apostle Paul, greatest missionary that ever lived, said we were so hopeless that we despaired even of life but this happened so that we might learn not to trust in ourselves but on God who raises the dead the apostle Paul said we were so hopeless we so wanted to give up that we just wanted to die and yet God met them and God met them in that place and and he showed them that he was faithful this is so many of the stories that we have throughout scripture. It's when God's people are most hopeless that God comes and he meets them. And it's not that he hadn't been seeing them. It's not like he got distracted with something, like I'm getting distracted looking out the window this morning. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm preaching. Come back to that. Like, no, he's, his eye is on us all the time. And we know it, but we're just not always aware of it. We don't believe it in the moment. You know what I mean? Do you have those times? Do you have those? I bet if we went around right now, we could tell story after story after story of the times that God met us in the midst of difficulty. You know, I I think of uh, I think I've told you guys this story before, but it was such a it was such a specific one. Early on, uh, Hannah and I were married and you know doing full time ministry and living on like I don't know maybe fifteen thousand dollars a year with some support and doing these Bible studies and things and and uh, just didn't have a lot and and. Uh, found out that Hannah was pregnant with Ephraim, and so I started roofing for this guy to try to make some extra money, and I was driving home from roofing one day, and my transmission gives out on my old 1989 Honda Prelude. Anybody have a Prelude? The Prelude I like the Prelude. Anyway, and it, all of a sudden, the trans, it just boom, 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 starts clunking, and I stop alongside the road, and you know, I couldn't go on. I had to have it towed and barely had money for that and got a ride home and went home and I was literally laying on my face on the carpet just kind of like, oh, God, come on. And it, car trouble puts me down. Can I just say it? Like, I hate car trouble. Satan, get away from me. Um, you know, <laughs> it's always car trouble. And I was literally laying on my face on the floor just, uh, just not really praying but more complaining. And my doorbell rings. And it's a guy that had recently started coming to the church we were attending. I didn't know him well. And he goes, hey, uh, i got to ask you something. I was like, what? You know, I, was, I wasn't in a great frame of mind. I was kind of annoyed. And he goes, uh, 
I'd like to give you my truck. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I, I, it's not the best thing, but like, I'd like to give you my truck. And, and it wasn't, it really wasn't that great. There was a lot of paint coming off or whatever. But in that moment, I was amazed that God saw me meeting my specific need. There was an, I, I, you know, I, this is where I wish so badly. This is just a little rabbit trail and just a little aside. But guys, if you can begin to slowly adopt the, the practice or the, the habit, the discipline of journaling, I promise you, you will not regret it. I'm 40. I wish so badly I had journaled all that God did during my 20s. And th- the 30s, I can still kind of remember a little bit, but <laughs> the 20s. Um, there was another time, early on, Hannah had, uh, had to have gallbladder surgery when we were first married. And again, didn't have a lot of money and insurance wasn't great. And I don't know if you guys have ever had medical bills, but it's like, they can't just send you one bill, right? It's like you get it from the anesthesiologist and you get it from the people that did blood work and you get it from the hospital and you get it from, you know, whoever. And they just keep coming and you're like, oh, okay, I think I got, we got the last one. We got the last one. And, uh, you know, you think you're all good and then you go to the mailbox and uh, here's another one. And I remember specifically, it was, it, was, it was like $249 or something like that. And I was just so fed up at this point. I went in and I was just like, I thought we'd already had them all and I threw it down on the counter. I was like, Lord, you deal with that. That's what I said. And it really wasn't out of a heart of faith. It was more out of a heart of being annoyed, honestly, it was. And again, I'm not saying that's commendable. I'm just telling you that's where I was at. It's like, Lord, you deal with that. And we were on our way out the door to go. Uh, Newgrounds Cafe used to do this little thing. Was it Sunday Night Live? Where they'd do this little service. Anyway, and I was speaking there and, you know, whatever. And so I went, we went there. And that night, just out of, just out of nowhere, I mean, you didn't, it was a free thing. You didn't get paid for doing that. But somebody came up to me that night and gave me a check for $250. Knew nothing about it. And again, it wasn't, hear me, I was thankful for the truck, but the truck wasn't that great of a truck. $250, I was, it wasn't that much money. But God saw me. God saw me. And I don't know what you're going through this morning. I want to tell you with all of my heart that God sees you this morning. He sees you. He sees you. And he wants you to be amazed that he sees you. It's not just that he sees you but that you would see the God who's seeing you this morning. That you would know that he loves you. Guys, it's going to be okay. You are going to make it. Because not for one millisecond of your life does God take his eye off of you. We don't always sense it. And yes, those moments, those highs when they come, and you know, he provides the, in a very specific way the things that we need. There are moments when we're very aware that he sees us, but it's not because he ever takes his eye off of us. He hears you. And he sees you. And he wants you to believe that this morning. And and again, there's another just beautiful part to the story here that uh, I I think is, it's just beautiful. And and it's for us. Is that not only does she say, you are El Roy, you are the God of seeing, for truly here I have seen him who sees me or who looks after me. But verse 14, therefore the well was called, and I, I can't say this, but I'll, you guys don't know Hebrew either, so I'll go for it. But Behir Lahai Roy, 
And this means, this is the well of the living one who sees me. So she knows God in this new way that he's the God who sees, and he's the God who sees me. And I'm amazed that I've been allowed to see the God who sees me. But then she names this well. What do you do at a well? You drink. That there is a well this morning for every single one of us to drink from. But it's, it's a better well than the, than the well of Behir Lahai Roy. It's not, a, it's not a place, it's a person. His name is Jesus. He sees you. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, his one and only son, that whoever would just simply believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. And if you're here this morning and you've trusted Jesus as your savior, I'm telling you, don't run to another well. Just keep coming to him again and again and again. He always satisfies, but man, how much we're like Abram and Sarah. And we, we try to do things in our own effort. We run to another well. We try to find satisfaction somewhere else. We're tired of being barren. We want to bear fruit. We want something to happen. And so we try to make it happen in our own efforts. And then we make a mess and we can't clean up the mess. But God comes in and he steps in and he cleans up our mess, even as believers. I'm so glad that as a pastor this morning, I still make messes. Do you know that? I still make messes because of sin in my life. And God still steps in and cleans them up. This well never runs dry. The well is Jesus. It's the cross. It's his resurrection. He does not stop making intercession for his people. Jesus said in John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, there was a feast, booths, tabernacles going on in Jerusalem. The city was packed. Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, if anybody's thirsty, then and now, this morning, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So it's interesting imagery here. It's like Jesus saying, I I'm the well, I'm the living water, but you can come to me and drink, and then out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Back in, in Hagar's day, again, God meets her by this spring or by this well, and it was a really big deal. Like you didn't, like in, in that time in the, in the Middle East, probably even still today, you know, it's not like she was just carrying around like a bottle of Aquafina or Dasani or Fiji or whatever you drink, you know. Um, is it Fuji? F Fiji? Anyway, never mind. Um, stay focused, Eric. We're almost, almost through this. Uh, but... Like, you, you, you had to hang out. Like, she's hanging out by a well because you, you wanted to be near a well. And if you were going to move away from that well, you wanted to know where the next well was, right? Because you're in the desert, in, in, in the Middle East. And so she, you know, this well, she, she renames it now. There's this place where God's people come to drink and they're reminded by the name. But here, Lahai Roy, that this is the God, the well of the God who sees. And to drink of him. But Jesus says here, it's like, when we believe in him, if we drink of him, and we're satisfied in him, these living waters, that our very life becomes a well. That just like Hagar renamed this place, is that we as the people of God, if we've drank fully and been satisfied in Jesus, is that our life is to become a place where people drink, not from us, we don't have anything to offer in and of ourselves, but we have Jesus. In this life we now live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. 
that it is Christ in us. And as the people of God, this is how we live on the mission of God, by simply being satisfied again and again and again in who Jesus is so that other people could find satisfaction, not in us, but in what we have to offer and of what we have drank from. Amen? But if we don't drink, if we're not satisfied, no one else is going to be satisfied from our life, right? I met with the worship team Thursday night, and, uh, you know, as I prayed with them at the end, I just, um, I can't remember if I told them this or if I, if I prayed it over them or whatever, but my, I, I, I don't know what I said, but I, I told them that the thing that I want for them is every Sunday when they stand up and when they lead us in worship, I want them First and foremost, before they try to lead us to Jesus, I want them to be amazed at the gospel. That's all I want. I really don't care what they sound like, as long as they're not distracting or whatever. And they sound good, but it's like, I just, I want them, as they're singing, I want them to be amazed that God loves them as they minister to us. God wants you to be amazed that he sees you and that he loves you because otherwise we have nothing we have nothing to offer worship team you can come up and I'll try to wrap up here with a few things you know it's interesting you're 10 you're 10 Abram and Sarai they messed up pretty bad and then when Abram in year 11 they have Ishmael and next week, we're going to roll into chapter 17, and if, you, and if you'll just look quickly at chapter 17, verse 1. We, we're going to pick up the story. This was year 10, but we're going to pick up the story in year 24. That when Abram was 99 years old, God appears to him. And again, what God did here in stepping into the mess that they had made, okay, um, don't, don't miss this. He sends Hagar back with this testimony that God is a God who sees. And eventually she's going to have this son, Abram's son, Ishmael, who means God hears. And so from year 10 to year 24, when Abram is 99, every day, Abram and Sarah even though they messed up here and they doubted, they're going to be reminded every day when they see Hagar, God is a God who sees. Every time Abram says, hey Ishmael, come here. God is a God who hears. For the next 15 years, this is going to be the word that sustains them. Because God is not going to give up on his plan. He's not going to give up on keeping his promise because God always keeps his promises. Amen? Oh, is it not wonderful news that God's character does not change with the goofiness of his people? <laughs> right? That when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he is who he is and he does not 
need to change. He is the great I am. And so for the next 15 years, before they, God's going to finally keep his promise, and they're going to have Isaac, they're going to live on this promise that God sees us, and God, and God hears us. As we close this morning, um, just a couple things. One, you might be in a season this morning where it's year 10. You might be just about ready to birth an Ishmael. Look, don't do it. Just stop. Stop. I know you're tired of waiting. I know you think God should act quicker. How many have thought that before? He's always on time, but he's not early. Trust him. Just keep trusting him. This morning, uh, you might be living on kind of a high of chapter 15. Maybe it's chapter 15 in your life. I almost guarantee you that back in chapter 15, when everything was going good, when God's showing Abram the stars and making a covenant with him, I almost guarantee that Abram didn't think then that chapter 16 was ever going to happen. But it did, and it did because they began to cultivate doubt in the midst of their marriage. Husbands and wives, speak the promises of God to each other. Remind each other of God's faithfulness. If you're not married, those in your closest community, speak the promises of God to them. Tell them that you need to hear the promises of God. If your heart is filled with doubt this morning, if you're ready to birth an Ishmael and you know you're right there, you're getting ready to do something that you kind of know it's a bad idea, but you've talked yourself into it, go tell, go find a brother and sister right now, today, this morning, right after the service, and just be honest about it. Say, brother, sister, my heart is full of unbelief. And I need you to speak the promises of God to me and have them do that. We need to hear that. Every one of us. We need to hear the promises of God spoken to us this morning. I'm not real big on little practical takeaways because I'm, I'm just not real good at them. I'm not a real great practical guy. And I just don't really think that that's the way it works. My life has never been changed because somebody told me very specific to do. My life has been changed because I just keep trying to see Jesus in the Bible and then the Holy Spirit I don't know, kind of brings that to mind. But let me give you something practical, okay? If you would. If you want to try it. I don't care if you don't. Whatever. Um, wake up every morning this week. Just try it for this week. And if you like it, keep on doing it. But as you get up every day this week, set some sort of reminder. And I want the first thing out of your mouth as you wake up this week to be get out of bed, feet on the ground, I want you to say out loud, God hears me and God sees me. God hears me and God sees me. How would your life have been different this past week if you would have lived in the reality, the conscious reality every moment that God hears you and that God sees you? And lastly, if you are here this morning and you're like Hagar, and you're on the run from God's people because of God's people. And hear me, it might be legitimate. You might have some legit gripes 
with the way the church has hurt you. Okay? I'm not going to argue that that hasn't happened. But God loves you. And this crazy, at times, nasty, goofy, messed up group of people called the church, not just Mercy Hill, but his, all those who have trusted in Christ, but the local church, <laughs> he's just not going to stop blessing us. He's just not going to stop being with us. Despite our faithlessness and the dumb things we do at times, he's made a promise that he's going to build his church and the gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. And so, come on back to God's people. Join us and know that he's faithful and that he loves you. Father, thanks for this morning. Your word is so sufficient, it's so beautiful. God, I just ask that you would meet each and every heart right where they're at today. And I pray that you would be the great satisfier of every soul. Where there's hurt, where there's pain, where there's running, where there's fleeing, where there's unbelief, where there's doubt, where there's just sin, God, would you just step into our mess? Every mess represented here this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. Have your way. And as we stand in just a second and as we sing, Father, I pray that whatever burden is on every heart, I just pray that that burden would lift. Please. Please, Lord. Please, Holy Spirit. Because of the blood of Jesus and the mercy seat, come lift every burden on every heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys stand with me.